0: Grospin the propaganda's wind stress feeding on my attention. My countrymen they love their fiction. Words are now displayed with good intentions.
1: Welcome to one of two hundred, the international New Zealand Media and Politics podcast. We're also independent. I've really flubbed it this week. <laughs> I am joined by two co-hosts, uh, returning uh, co-host Finlay. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Thank you for having me
1: again. Oh, Anytime. And first time podcast co-host, uh, midterm contributor to the website. You will have read some of their work, hopefully, around film, other pop
0: culture stuff. Uh, and that's Jimmy Lanyard. Welcome. Uh, kia ora, um, long-time listener, happy to be uh, a caller for the first time. Yeah, well,
1: um, happy to have you. I hope it meets all your uh, extravagant expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a stupid week this has been. I often rant and rave about the heavy focus on perception politics among our political and media class This campaign in particular, and and maybe for the last 12 months, has been so frustratingly focused on that stuff. And it doesn't look like it's going to let up anytime soon. We're we're continuing to barely focus on policy. But forgive us uh, on, on this independent podcast for responding to some of this media stuff because I feel the need to to analyze exactly what's happening here, but it it does end up dragging us into this horrible conversation around who is looking bad, uh, who is looking good. I feel like we're getting further and further from looking at the actual outcomes of what either kind of, any any of the possible uh, configurations of government are going to look like after October. This week, we have started to see what you might call a shift in the way... Some of the right-wing politicians and parties have been covered. I don't think I've ever seen this much focus on the ACT party in the last three years. Uh, A constant complaint of ours on the podcast um, and on social media has been the lack of interrogation of the ACT uh, backbench. Uh, And that's been going since before 2020 when the ACT... Um, polling started to, to rise at national expense. We're finally starting to hit the low 30s um, of the ACT list. People are starting to look at some of that and think, hey, wait a second, maybe this isn't all as as great as we've been suggesting. Maybe this party isn't quite as serious as we like to promote it as. There's been a bit of a blow up around that uh, this week. Um, it's a bit more fringe and extreme than perhaps it has been in the past, which might have been driving some of that media that media hype around it. We've had some stuff out of National as well in, in that space. Labour have got off pretty lightly the last couple of weeks um, as their, their polling has slowly degraded further and further. Um, and there just seems to have been no positive policy released. So there's not much for us to talk about in that space either. So we're just going to go in hard on all these fuckers on the right. Um, and yeah, hopefully add something to the conversation. So no, I'm not sure like it's valuable at this stage, Jimmy, you have been, uh, commenting on, on some of this stuff around the act candidacy yeah. issues a little bit.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, you've talked on this podcast a number of times about the really easy ride that, um, David Seymour, in particular, has um, has got from the media, and I think there's a number of of reasons for that that you've you've identified. But I think nowhere has that been more apparent in his ability um, to deflect attention away from anyone else on the the party list. And you know, in in 2020, they got a a huge number of candidates, and everyone was saying, "Oh, I I can't wait for these." these um, ACT Party MPs to to get in front of the mic and and say something stupid and embarrass themselves or or whatever. And I think one of the successes of David Seymour or the failures of our media class is that he has, has kept them away from uh, the mic until then. And um, it's only, yeah, like you said just recently that that scrutiny is finally being applied um, to the list. Um, and um, a number of really gross statements um from from uh people on the the list um comparing comparing vaccine mandates to the Holocaust um things came out around a, a youth MP who made some some really um, gross comments in, in um, youth Parliament and you know just your general um kind of kind of cooker uh ideology having said that I, I think we need to be very clear that um, and this is something that I really disagreed with in an article that, that Jack Tame wrote being like, you know, this is an unusual misstep from the ACT party and not vetting their candidates. Um, whereas I, I think that the ACT party is like the racism party. Right. And it's not, an, it's not a failure of the selection process that their list is full of racists. <laughs> it's completely fitting with their, their political ideology. It's, the media has been really credulous about accepting the kind of the kind of way that libertarians frame themselves as as socially liberal and and fiscally right wing. Whereas in in reality, other than I know there was a a, a former uh, ACT leader Jamie White who was part of the more academic bent of the the ACT party who who loved um, talking about hypothetical incest situations, <laughs> but in reality, any libertarian libertarian with power is going to govern in a socially conservative way like that they're going to be tough on crime they're going to be anti-trans they're going to be anti-maori and that's like a feature of the act party it's not a, um it's not a failure of their vetting process and i think yeah i think david seymour's cozy relationship with the media has kind of deflected attention away from that fact
2: yeah i mean very little of their current policy is being like Vote. Like, it is very clear that they are like a deeply racist, like fucked up party Uh from their policies and their like hoardings and just how they present themselves. So, yeah, saying like, oh, well, you know, they've done something wrong here or like their vetting process has failed. It's like, well, nothing that these people have said is actually inconsistent with. It's probably more extreme than what ACT is saying, but it's not fundamentally different,
0: really. 100 100% and that's like it's just when the 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 rhetoric slips a little bit outside of of what what's acceptable um when they're kind of saying that the the quiet part out loud and you know um crossing a line with um obviously really gross holocaust references as a, as a line that David Seymour will Uh, draw in the sand but I mean he's still happy to like use um, apartheid all the time when talking about co-governance so although there is a a line there it's not that material I think.
2: No. And I think if they successfully continued to shift the Overton window that line would disappear as well
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah and I think one of the other things that's kind of muddied the water somewhat is these comments have been taken from social media stuff Um, is the kind of contention some of the arguments around you know how that should be dealt with are in the realm of oh everyone says stuff on social media what I think been lost a little bit is some of these were were people replying to David Seymour on LinkedIn you know under their business profile essentially saying saying this really horrific shit you know they were comfortable being in this uh, you know your your mileage may vary on on um, what LinkedIn actually is these days, <laughs> yes. but it's not like some of the stuff that you know you might have seen in the UK, um, where or yeah, I think UK is probably the best example where stuff has been trawled through to find comment like random comments from Facebook or from Twitter. Uh, this is stuff that was very much out there in a professional setting in, in a way that some of the other stuff isn't. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Se- Seymour has tried to um, kind of palm it off as not really you know, a failure of the vetting process. Like, oh, you know, one slips through the gaps every now and then. I think there have been three or four this week uh, of varying degrees. One of the other people was kind of indulging in this, maybe I'll say conspiracy adjacent, uh, just asking questions stuff. And this is where that credulity um, of the media comes in again. Like, oh, no, they can, they can just say that we have to take them at face value. Um, I guess they were just asking questions, or you know, this was um, this is just a freedom of speech issue uh, kind of thing. Like, no, this, these are very well played out rhetorical tools to to hide behind uh, when you're trying to push this much wider ideology, which is incredibly clear from the policies uh, and the other re- uh, rhetoric that is both being peddled by the ACT Party and by adjacent groups. But yeah, this one guy was was talking about um, the vaccine maybe causing extra drownings, you know. And the the um, we had a, a rash of drownings over the summer after one of the lockdowns. They really and that, that guy's still staying on the list, by the way. He hasn't been
0: kicked off um, just yet because he's a white dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, Darren Gilchrist is is his name. Um, yeah, and that's like like that's like a, a meme, like when someone dies in a completely unrelated way commenting like vexed uh in the in the comments and this is like what this guy has, is like earnestly expressing on, on social media.
1: Don't worry though. That was only that was a long time ago, a whole 18 months. Yeah. Um <laughs> and he's sorry about it and he doesn't really believe it anymore.
0: That's...
2: He was so much younger then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's listening, he's learning, he's doing the work. Um I think you mean the Mahi. Yeah. <laughs> Well and, and that's that's the other thing, like with these like this like anti um Māori stuff, like um, David Seymour will draw upon te ao Māori when it suits him. He will criticise other MPs for, for breaching the tikanga of Parliament. He will pull out the, the ma, uh, wahine Māori candidates on his list as, um, uh, in front of the, the media when he wants to say something super egregiously anti, anti-Māori anti as kind of a form of plausible deniability. It's just so bad faith. Have we got any insights as to why this has actually
1: been covered for once? Do, do we think... Some of this stuff has just gone too far for you know, the sensibilities of the media class. What got us to the point where this stuff is actually popping up for once? Because I'm imagining that this information has been out there for a while. Like, there's no way that Labour um, and outriders aren't doing OPPO research on the Act Party list. <laughs> because There's definitely going to be something in there. And this is one of the other things about... I think three of those uh, list candidates, as they were all connected to Voices for Freedom. You know, I think it's pretty fair to say they, they're a far right organization, um, at, at least as far as, you know, what they want, even if they do hide it behind like a, a pretty he- heavy veneer of family friendly, community based mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, even, even Voices for Freedom had some pretty positive press back when they were first showing up. I yeah I'm. It's something which I haven't quite put the uh, strings together for yet as to what specifically has shifted uh, in the relationship between act and the media here. Like the the bombing comments were barely covered. You know mm-hmm. they they've been showing up like as an aside. News Hub I, I think I mentioned last week have in particular gone pretty. But, but they've covered it quite a bit. Most of the other media haven't. Um, it'll pop up as a a throwback line now, if it's related. Uh, so it'll be like uh, David Seymour, who last week um, made a joke about yada yada. Yeah, not much coverage of that, which I would have said was like far more important to cover. Uh, and, and suddenly we've had you know multiple stories this week, which
0: really seem to be putting the pressure on them. It's probably like the cynic in me thinks it's probably just critical mass of things and that it makes a more interesting narrative to... Uh, in terms of creating a, a, a horse race narrative in the election to be a little bit critical of ACT, um, because you're absolutely right, this hasn't got, uh, this has got way more coverage than much more egregious things, well, in the last week, but generally over the last three years. You know, things um, within within the ACT party, um, uh, issues related to their funding around... Um, the, the kind of sexual harassment and, and rape culture that permeates um, Young Act, lots and heaps of things that haven't made the media. I think maybe it's just now that a, a right coalition is looking a bit more likely that you got to cut them down to size. It's not, it's not balanced, but it's a more interesting narrative. And you also mentioned the, the general slow news week. I don't know.
2: Did this stuff come out before or after question time the other day
1: that's a really good question i think it was around the same time
2: mm.
1: i think we'd probably we'd been some mention it might have come out the day before okay yeah so i don't think one led to the other yeah but yeah the question question time the other day is not something we're going to talk about for reasons uh, <laughs> that you may or may not be aware of
2: yeah i was wondering if this kind of yeah like quite a i don't know what the word is it was like quite an intense moment that would then lead to more stuff but yeah if it was beforehand then
1: that doesn't really follow it's it's really frustrating to watch though because a lot of the stuff you know once those candidates are gone or once Uh. they've apologized it feels like the story kind of moves on (laughs) um i think there's potential just because of how rotten act is that it becomes its own narrative um as more stuff is found out about other list candidates i mean it's not like the people at the top of the list are great like this mm-hmm. is an ex-Fed Farmers guy. He's basically a climate denier, right? Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, there's like a very clear kind of political move that Fed Farmers made to block um, or or slow down um, climate action and negotiating with the government. And then to have the head of the organization then move into a right-wing political party campaigning against it mm-hmm. is a bit much. Um yeah. in my opinion. But whether we'll see more focus on the top of the list as well. Um, yeah, I'm not
0: convinced. I'd like to. It would be great. Um Yeah. Even on Seymour himself. Let's yeah. do diligence Yeah. <laughs> Why is the the media silent on the fact that the only job he's ever had is at a Canadian think tank and he came back with a Canadian accent and his political handlers had to train him to speak with a New Zealand accent again? Why, why is there silence on this? <laughs> he's also just a nasty little man. Um, he is, yeah.
1: <clears throat> and, you know, I think I've been saying this way, he does look like he is under a lot of pressure. I, I don't think he understands how much he's been playing on easy mode uh, for mm. the last you know six years everything's kind of been handed to him he hasn't really been under scrutiny I would love to see him just fully shatter um I I'm here for that and he <laughs> is yeah a few of the times that you've seen him on the mic um recently he has been struggling um in a way that I don't think we've really seen before
2: yeah which is I mean it's good they do it to literally everyone else
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean l- c- compared to like how the uh, media treated Madam davidson after mm-hmm. his after her comments about um c- cis white men doing the majority of the violence a Pro- provably true statement and also happening after being like physically attacked but the media yeah. was much harsher to, to her than it has ever been to david seymour yeah. for much worse things <laughs> we'll see how that eventuates but there actually was some
1: policy out of act uh this week and it did Get some minimal coverage. Um, and, and you know, a lot of, like a lot of the stuff, it's mostly the ACT Party PR line um, becomes the headline. Uh, so David Seymour goes on Breakfast or some other show and says, we're going to do this thing. Um, and then we get a, a big splash um, article about it. It's been really useful for ACT to push a, a bunch of stuff, um, especially in terms of shifting the Overton window. You know, we hear a lot about... Uh, I actually have a really well-oiled machine. Um, they are getting these PR releases out uh, really quickly. Uh, so it's really easy for the media to just drop them into thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, not true. Uh, you don't have to uncritically publish it, but the one this week, I, again, an, an interesting um, shift in the tenor of both actors relating to the media and how it ends up being covered because it looked bad, even though the PR line almost certainly came from ACT in some regard, and that's. And I think you can only really call it an incarceration policy. It's. I don't even know. It's not a. It's not really a hard-on crime policy in the same way as you would uh, typify some of these things. But uh, David Seymour came out and said that spend. A billion dollars to put more people in prison. Yeah. <laughs> that was like that was it. That was the policy pitch.
2: Yeah. It wasn't specifically like we're targeting these kind of crimes, we're making sentences harsher or longer. Like it wasn't yeah, even something like that, which is also like horrendous. But it was literally just we're just gonna put more people in prison and that will mm-hmm. solve the problem that is me and other right wing politicians and media people are telling everyone that they need to be scared for their lives. It, Constantly, really.
0: Yeah, Yeah,
2: it's yeah, it's it's also like we spend so so much money keeping people in prison, and does it like it it doesn't do really anything um, in terms of keeping people safer. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And like recidivism is incredibly high. People who go into prison for nonviolent offenses are more likely to commit violent offenses after they've been in prison. It just yeah intensifies all of the things that end up causing violence and other like forms of social harm and yeah that's shit
0: a hundred yeah and i i think it's partly driven by the fact that well at least um under under hipkins labor's gotten more tough on crime yeah the whole conversation around around crime has has moved far to the right and Mm -hmm. that has meant that that Act is able to to move from more generally acceptable but still gross tough on crime rhetoric to what you described as a yeah just a flat up incarceration policy, Um, and then to and then to say that Nelson Mandela would vote for for act like (laughs) come on like get get fucked.
1: It's been a, it's, yeah, it, this is what I mean. Like, it, it feels like the cracks are showing there. Yeah. What I would have expected in, from this kind of policy is some kind of private prisons kind of framework. Um, so, public partnerships uh, with the prison industrial complex, some way in which act could say, oh, we're making it a better system um, and introduce some plausible deniability about what the costs would be. Cause I mean, we know the costs for all that shit are like immense anyway. But yeah, in this case, the headlines were just, ACT would spend a billion dollars more to imprison people. And I just don't, yeah, it's that's where the policy conversation is at the moment. You know, this is what's being covered. This is what's being released.
2: And it speaks to, I guess, the general situation, both like from both our major parties and also from ACT, where like there's, we can, no matter how difficult it is to find money to fund uh, like reasonable working conditions and pay, for teachers and for nurses and for other people who work in like public services and how we can't we can't really have functioning or affordable public transport. We can't lift people out of poverty. We can't do any of this because we don't have any money. But we do have money and we will always have money to pump it into police, pump it into prisons, to kind of lock people away and, you know, essentially in a lot of cases, torture people and brutalize them. And that's never like we're never gonna be like, oh, well, like, isn't this too much money to be spending? Um, like, there's—it's never a question of like if we're cutting costs. We nobody ever is willing to cut costs from the things that are actually like bad for ordinary people, just the things that are good.
1: And it really frustrates me because I, I, it's such a trap to fall into this austerity language, right? Like, <laughs> but but where the fuck is the money for this? Like, <laughs> no because it causes more costs down the line as well, you know, like the run on cost of this stuff, just like the cost of inaction on healthcare um, or any other number of other public services uh, cause huge blowouts later on. You know, there an economics to this, but it doesn't, it just doesn't get applied like in a, in a way that is even fair, I guess.
0: Yeah. And it really lays, lays bare how like absolutely bullshit it is to, for act to to frame themselves as like the the classically liberal, uh, fiscally responsible party, like the 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 f- f- fiscal credentials will always like fall away when there's um like an opportunity to like brutalize poor people, Māori people, trans people, like that like the media reporting them as if there's, like any, like, legitimacy to this this libertarian framing is, like, unbelievable. Yeah, I, I guess that's really where the gaps are,
1: right, is, again, we're coming back to that credulity. They're they are saying these things, they're presenting themselves as, as one thing as, um, as being elected because of this set of values. Okay, we can, like, I can stomach that, but then when they say something that is completely at odds with that, when the outcomes of their policies are completely at odds with that, that needs to be put on... pedestal as well like we we need to be shown the split uh between rhetoric and potential outcome and it really feels like that's where things are falling down in this election campaign because both national and act have some out there policies in the economic space and, you know, we can talk about cutting costs and like bringing down debt and cost of living and, and we can make all kinds of mouth sounds about that. But none of this is like, going to all make stuff worse. And as much as I love seeing Act get kicked around and, you know, some of that um, kind of negative vibe start to build around them, you know, like, look, if that's if that's what it takes to create enough of a, a downturn in their polling to ensure that they don't get into parliament, I'll, I'll fucking take it. But I'd prefer it if they were absolutely ruined, because everything they have to offer is fucking incoherent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think alongside this ACT policy, we've had this National Party policy uh, being announced as well, and it does feel like the right are uh, trying to lean more into this crime narrative. And I think it's the second or third uh, highest issues polling at the moment under cost of living, which is such a weird catch-all in the first place. And... The national policy is to stop um, or cancel government contracts uh, with the gangs. So this is a range of support programs that are used uh, to help with drug rehabilitation uh, for people trying to, uh, what's the right term for it? I I guess not do drugs anymore, um, for starters, uh, but for people trying to leave uh, gang situations as well. These have been going uh, these kinds of relationships between the government um, and the wider community around gangs have been around since the 80s. You know, this is a, an established way in which um, communities are supported uh, and people are rehabilitated. It's effective. And, yeah, it's seeming like we might see a little bit more of that in the in the coming weeks. There's no, there's no real detail on what they'll use They'll do to replace this. You can imagine that if we've got a national act party government after the election they'll just put i spend a billion dollars and put them in prison um like that's that's how we have to think about all these things uh we, we can't just say okay we're going we're not going to do this anymore we're the national party we're hard on crime okay what are you going to do mm-hmm. uh
0: yeah well the i mean the the whole reason that there's this this relationship that's existed since the 80s between the the government and gangs is because the work that the gangs are doing is filling a hole left by the state, right? Like yeah. the uh, gangs are contracted out to to help people with drug rehabilitation or f- feed kids or or whatever. And absolutely not like glorifying it or anything. But these this exists because the state isn't doing that work around drug rehabilitation, feeding kids, around providing a, a, a sense of belonging and, and community. And that need is still going to exist after ACT throws them all in in mega prisons, and it'll materialise in other more destructive ways. So, yeah, maybe it's 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 not great that the the government has to outsource these services, but it's not like it's not like there's an, a solution being offered by the the right wing approach. Yeah, I'm not into private public partnerships either. Yeah. <laughs> um, I prefer a state
1: that like that did all the stuff that, well, had the capability to do all the stuff by itself, but yeah, you know, we're not there. We haven't been there for decades um, and things currently work. Mm-hmm.
2: And I mean, the, a lot of the existence of gangs in the first place is again about a complete failure of the state It comes from things like state care and places like prisons and it grows out of that. And there is a social and like, very much kind of physical need that gangs fill and if people can't find that in other places then like what are you going to do like Mm -hmm. people need connection with other human beings they need to feel like they have a sense of community and safety and they will find that where they find that and if you yeah particularly looking at like if you throw more people in prison more people are going to need that and more people are going to be in a place where they end up joining gangs and it can be yeah like it's not which is not to say i guess that it's all positive but i also don't think that we should pretend that it's this kind of whole evil uh kind of black hole that fills people in and they'll never get out like there's not a lot that i mean the state is not really doing anything to help anyone out there was a trial a long time ago over a decade ago where the government funded tattoo removal for gang tattoos for people in prison And that hasn't happened for a long time. And like that's a need that still exists and is being fulfilled by like volunteer organizations that are, you know, trying to fundraise for it. And a lot of a lot of this kind of stuff steps in to fill the massive gaps left by the state. Like I mean, just any (laughs) like rehabilitation and like drug addiction and mental health services that people can access easily and for free. And if that's something that Gangs are able to run for people who probably don't feel like they can access other services because of their gang affiliation. Like that's good, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, this. I mean, the anti the anti gang stuff, as we all know, is is always just a like racist dog whistle. And again, it's like the ACT Party. The media loves to talk about the the socially liberal credentials Uh of Chris Bishop and, and Nicola Willis or whatever, but they will always go in on this stuff um yeah. when push comes to shove nicola willis is or is like the darling of the liberal media but will always say tough on crime stuff anti-homeless stuff she got totally it um, anti-
1: stuff some, yeah. of the, some of the nastiest stuff
0: in the last three years honestly has come <laughs> from nicola willis totally yeah and she even like um even not like the the anti-sex education um, and <laughs> transphobic stuff she was all in on and The media just treats her like she's some, like, social liberal or whatever.
2: Like, if you want to, I mean, the National Party are probably not going to do this or labour, but, like, there's been research out of Australia, I believe, about methamphetamine in particular. And one way, I mean, honestly, like all drugs, is if you want to reduce the harm, it causes you legalise it and you regulate it. And you probably, in the case of something like methamphetamine, you make it available through doctors and through that kind of channel where people can, you know, you look at like actual harm reduction, not just, we're not going to help you with this. You, the only, like the state's not going to help you. If you need help, you can go through to these other churches. Like I know the Haora program, I think that was Mongol Mob and Salvation Army working together, but like you can go to these services, but then also that kind of looks bad. So we're also going to cut that and just leave you with absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm.
0: But
1: yeah,
2: like we can actually deal with problems.
0: Yeah. What? Is <laughs> it actual reality that we can implement things against things the, the state should be doing, getting outsourced to problematic organisations? Salvation Army, come on! Yeah. Why are they leading the charge on supporting, um, like our homeless people that we we shouldn't? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't get me started. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is a thing, right? Like it, it, the
1: outcome doesn't matter; it's a perception. Yeah, and you know, as you say there's well-established kind of evidence now around using legalization and regulation to help change the outcomes around drugs in uh-huh. the community. Uh, we know that, you know, meth is a huge issue in New Zealand. Uh-huh. Like, it's, it's immense, um, especially, you know, outside of uh, the major centers. Maybe do something different, mm-hmm. you know, maybe actually uh, follow the science uh-huh. um, instead of just – rabbiting on about like just putting everyone in prison and and being tough like yeah it's because the other thing is like most people who do meth are never going to be charged you know like they're never going to interact with the justice system like but they're still going to have like really long-term uh health and psychological effects in the community um and to the relationships from from using this stuff so like this it's not just a crime issue. Come on.
2: And I think, particularly, I guess it kind of links in with this gang stuff. It's this idea of a separation between dealers and users, which doesn't like that's not a clean line. Lots of people who are selling drugs are doing it to fund their own drug addiction. And mm-hmm. like the idea that if you have, you know, are considered a drug dealer, which sometimes just means they found you with a certain amount that they've decided is enough to classify you legally as a drug dealer like that you can't then access services like that's a really big problem for people who are drug users and then can't access services because of this conviction that they've had and yeah like the idea that because these people are involved with a drug trade they should therefore like can't be trusted it just doesn't really look at the reality i guess of Mm. drug use and what yeah people do and like how I guess that whole, yeah, how uh, like accessing and using drugs actually like works.
0: Yeah. And I think that really speaks to a, a disconnect. Um, whenever we're talking about tough on crime policy, and I think you see it a lot in the United States, is that the, the policy makers are very like disconnected from the reality mm. of how it works. I mean, the, 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 the wealthy and powerful may be drug users themselves, but mm-hmm. they're d- disconnected from like actual crime they're not likely to be um victims of crime they're not um it's predominantly people in in poorer communities Mm. who are likely to be um victims of crime so their understanding is i mean you talk finley about the um the idea of a clean line between um, drug dealers and, and drug users—that's like a, a gangster movie cliche. That mm-hmm. like the per- the person dealing drugs is would never try their own stuff because it's it's bad for business. And that's probably the extent to which the Nicola Willis's of the world engage with actual mm-hmm. like understanding of organized crime and um, and the drug trade.
2: And I guess that same kind of imagined line exists between like perpetrators and victims where like if you have committed a crime you therefore are completely unsafe to be around anyone who has not been committed a crime and you could never have been harmed or victimized in any way like it's this kind of imaginary line in the sand that yeah people who don't really have probably haven't had much experience on either side of that well, actually, that's not true. Like, typically, a lot of, you know, the most egregious kind of crimes and in terms of numbers, like, number of people harmed and killed as general rule, it is, like, the extreme wealth. Uh, like, it comes from extremely wealthy people who, mm-hmm. you know, are stealing more than, uh, like, manages more than anything else through, like, wage theft and, um, you know, kill millions of people <laughs> with no. pollution and all that. So, but, yeah, like, the interpersonal stuff, like... Mm-hmm. They're not likely to, or at least likely to be victims of it. And so have this, yeah, like Hollywood movie kind of, there are good guys and bad guys and the bad guys need to be in a cage and everyone else, and then everyone else is going to be fine, I guess. Yeah. Very childish um, perception.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And even like- W- people who are the victims of like actual violent crimes, um, it, like from uh, in more privileged communities, people mm. who are, are victims of like intimate par- partner violence yeah. and and sexual violence and stuff, it's likely to be like a family member, someone mm-hmm. from the the same uh, the same political cl- class as them committing that violence. But this idea is always outsourced to well, yeah. I guess in, in Nicola Willis's case, scary homeless people, um. Rather than the people who are most likely to be committing these acts of violence, and it's, it, yeah, I like, I hate to use the classic phrase, but it's just deeply unserious.
1: Um, oh. the the way this stuff is being handled. I will bring us back to the to the campaign because you know we, we're getting these these throwaway policies, these just as this, this really dumb shit. Um, and we're getting a lot of this perception stuff, but it's because there's nothing else out there. Yeah. You know, um, Labor have the Labor's big policy announcement this week uh, was that they're going to go on the attack and they're the underdogs now, which is embarrassing. Uh Um, You know, I I have been saying that, like, Labor post-Hipkins, we're going to have to get more um, aggressive. Um, But I'm totally fine with parties going on the attack. Um, do a negative campaign. Fuck it. Like the the stuff that is being um wheeled out by National Act is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to attack that. You know, especially if we're talking about the incredible shift that it's going to see from working class people to the very wealthy. Like that that deserves to be called out. Is that negative campaigning? The media will call it that. Uh, but I don't know, there's optimism and hope in there as well. The problem is that labor don't want to do anything about it either no um, <laughs> yeah you know, they they've, they've ruled out every uh policy lever so far that could help them deal with the problems that National act are planning to create it's this and it's this vacuum um as much as anything else like this is where I will give some leeway to media like what what else are they going to cover in this environment green party policy but yeah when when you have the two major parties leaning into this style of campaigning so heavily, it does make it a lot harder.
2: I mean, everyone, like most people I've talked to about this, like there's a sense that like labor just don't want to be in government anymore. And Mm. that's what they're doing. Like, that's what it feels like their plan is. And I don't know if that's what they're doing, but like every decision they make makes no sense. If you are a party that has an absolute majority and is hoping to be in for another three years? Like, like, do you just not want to do it? Like, is that actually what's happening? Or have you got, I don't know, like, a, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know.
0: that's that's how it feels like. I mean, as you always say, Kyle, with the um, left-wing populist policies? I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're with the Greens and Te yeah. Māori at the moment, yeah. like, su- such as they are. You know, there's been some really good policy there and they're not being focused on. Um, to the extent I think they should be, certainly not as much as um it's it's interesting because things are focused on in very different ways, right?, uh, so act get a whole bunch of headlines about their policy, shifting the Overton window, um doing like right wing populism without that being interrogated. and the greens just don't get covered at all. Um, mm-hmm. because even if if we were having headlines around the stuff, um like it should be showing up every week. It should be in the papers. That the the super rich only pay a nine percent effective tax rate. That's uh-huh. that's ludicrous. That's so yeah. I and I don't know. Well, no, I don't know why. Why why, why am I saying I don't know why it's not being covered? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it, it's less than literally everyone else. It's less than I know. There was a lot of focus on it being less than like significantly less than what the average person pays. It's less than you would pay on the benefit or on the student allowance. It, like it's. Absolutely nothing. And they have so much more than everyone else. And we could just tax them. And like I know people like Chris pipkins was talking about, you know, rich people leaving. But also like honestly, I don't care if rich people leave. Yeah. But that's fine.
1: Fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like cool, they, they already
1: eat. they already spend half the time overseas. They yeah. already send all the profits offshore. You yeah. know, like especially like big corporates. Yeah. Um, the banks of markets, etc. This stuff already like the reason they're paying such a low-effective tax rate is because they it's already going out.
0: Yeah, and it's popular. Like, yeah. taxing the rich is popular. It would be such an easy win for Labour, which is why I'm, yeah, inclined to... I, I'm sympathetic to your suggestion, Finlay, that they just don't want to be in power because the path to power isn't that difficult. And,
2: like, Christopher Luxon is so incredibly unpopular that, like, you don't... You really don't have to... Do much like so many people. I mean, I don't. I don't think that everybody who's moved to act actually likes act. I think they're probably people who don't really follow politics that much, and they're like, "Well, I can't do this guy because he's like what a child imagines a CEO looks and sounds like." <laughs> and I guess this alternative seems okay. Like, I don't. Yeah, I mean, maybe that is hopeful of me, but like, I don't think they fifteen percent or whatever is all people who are completely cooked. But like, you just have to, like, you just have to seem better than someone who has an incredibly low, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: incredibly low.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah. What's the percentage thing they do? Preferred preferred PM thing. Yeah. yeah. It's very low. People don't want them to be PM. So just like Mm -hmm. do a couple of things, just like do free dental Mm -hmm. and then people can get their teeth fixed. And then every time someone goes to the dentist and it's not hundreds of dollars, they'll be like, yeah." yeah. Or thousands of dollars, yeah,
0: they'll be like, "Fuck yeah!" What about what about four dollars a week? Cheaper bananas? Is that is that all good? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I think with that, like, it's not as if like if active polling in fifteen at fifteen percent, it's not like fifteen percent of people. Support the ACT Party. It's that all this bullshit drives like political mm. participation down. Yeah, voter turnout being low is going to benefit um, benefit the ACT Party. If people are, are turned off by no party saying anything that they would support, or the ones that do mm. not getting covered in the media, or they're turned off by the really d- disgusting culture war stuff being pushed on the right, then that's only going to benefit these people.
1: Yeah, this is why I. Was telling Rathmanji to go after the Act and National vote because he's oh, a, yeah. he's an alternative CEO. That's that's where the votes are. But, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Finlay. Like, people are looking for a, that business person archetype, and they're just kind of jumping over to act as as part of that. I I'm really interested to see how that develops over you know the next few weeks of the campaign with some of this uh, pressure kind of going back to act's um more uh unhinged roots because there's always been a meme about the act party right like just how many um dead babies they pretend to be for example uh it's they've always been like this and a lot of their (laughs) ex members have have just done ludicrous stuff i i do wonder where how that vote split will shift if, if that stuff starts to sick if if more people who, you know, maybe a little less politically engaged, who aren't over enact act for the policies, but are there for the right wing block, start associating them with more fringe political movements, what happens to that voting bloc? Uh, does it just dribble back to national because national now look more serious in, in comparison? Perhaps they're probably not going to go to New Zealand first, given their, that, that's going in an even worse direction. Uh, but as you say, Luxon is historically unpopular, like, yeah. and uh, and untrustworthy, you know, is, is the other thing. It's, his trust numbers have just been in the bottom of the barrel. Um,
0: people this don't... This is the guy who signed off on the absolute worst in e New Zealand safety videos known to man. <laughs> like, his, his political instincts and his sense for the New Zealand public, like, encapsulated, like,
1: I think we'll see some interesting stuff around the debates when when this starts to go down we start to get a bit more head-to-head stuff but it's really it's just so frustrating to the way the political culture works in this country um because at the moment i think we are you know i've been pretty optimistic and i'm generally pretty positive about um a a left-wing path to uh power here but it is looking pretty bad right now like probably the worst it's looked um, in the last 12 months. And it's not going to get better if coverage and narrative continues in this way. Uh, and the only way out of that is a policy focus where we start to say, hey, this is going to fuck you up everyone. You're going to, National Act is going to fuck you up. Um, and the media actually cover that. Which, and it's, that's an objective truth. I want to be very, very clear about this. Uh, like act policies will destroy this country. Like, and they destroy any country that they were implemented in
0: yeah.
1: because they are some of the most radical neoliberal policies currently on offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we saw what happened in the UK when uh, Liz Truss tried to implement some of these. Yeah, like, It just went off a fucking cliff. And she was gone in 49 days. Now, ACT has the same policies. Some of them are worse. So some of them are more extreme and no one's talking about that yet. And I think if, if that was very clearly hammered by a, you know, a non-biased media, because it's not biased <laughs> to say, this is what the outcome of this would be because that is a, a fact. We could get some shift there. Um, it's still contingent on labor actually offering anything um, or, or the greens being covered um, beyond that. Yeah. As you, as you say, like people are just going to get switched off and, the only other way around that is organising. So, and I'm, I'm just not trusting Labour to uh, activate the classic Labour machinery to get the people out that it needs to, to win this election at this stage. They, they just, like, how do you turn volunteers out with this current policy platform unless they were already, like, rabid partisans?
2: Yeah. I mean, there was always this kind of sense of, like, oh, yeah, we'll wait till the campaign to see what they put out. And it's like, okay, so you put out 15... 15- percent I guess off fruit and vegetables if it doesn't get passed on, which or what if that gets passed on, which it won't. But like and not even doing that now.
1: Yeah, like, this is the thing. Like mm, not even so now. Show what you can do.
2: Like I it's think, gonna be next yeah Like this is
1: the I do not understand what they are thinking. I do not understand how they conceptualize yeah. uh power electoral mechanisms. Because yeah. you know, we can we can talk forever about how um oh people voted in uh the first MP majority because of the COVID response. What that was about was the electorate seeing a government actually act uh-huh. and use its power to make people's lives better. Labour could do that in half a dozen ways right now. Uh-huh. And people are gonna say, Oh, we are doing a free election. Yeah, okay. Cool, your life's better. Fuck up. Like yeah. It's it's really easy to do, and they could just do. And we, yeah, I, I mean, it's getting too late. Like, and yeah. I will um, cop to the fact that I consistently said there's potential for Labour to release like better stuff as the campaign kind of gets further along. Like they could have that like that one big policy that does this stuff that like gives stuff to people right now, right, lifts that cost of living pressure, and people go, oh look, Labour, Labour can implement. Labor can use power to make people's lives better. I'm going to vote for them because of what has already happened, not because of what I'm promised. People don't care about promises anymore. We're past that point of like the political moment. Like this recession has been hanging over people for ages. Uh, That narrative is not going to change in the media or from other parties. You have to show that you can actually take action. People want people who can get outcomes. Like even if you're taking that businessman narrative or like running as a business, I'm I'm the CEO of New Zealand cool show what you can do then like just give people outcomes like stop no one believes political promises anymore no yeah this is why people hate luxon because they
0: don't believe a thing he's fucking saying if you promise something in the future like people don't have like a conception of like a brighter future anymore like it's meaningless (sighs) to think of something cool happening in, in budget 24 like because We've seen with, like I guess, the the omni-crisis or whatever over the last few years that you can't predict the future. Labour could promise something in Budget 24, but it would be there's a million things that could go wrong Uh between now and then. There could be disasters, pandemics. That's why, yeah, you need that immediate action.
2: And, like, especially for Labour, you have had all this time that you could do anything, and you haven't. So why the fuck are we going to believe you saying Mm. you're going to do something? Exactly. Like, you like you can you can do it now
1: bribe you them. can do it today Go, us a bribe you <laughs> could
2: have done it two years ago like yeah there's no <clears throat> you can't sort of keep relying on this oh yeah but we will when you will be in less of a position to do it yeah because there's no you're not getting like you are never getting this chance again because you fucked it <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. and the, the other thing with this is like what who is hepkins right like <laughs> they've to try to do this like mini narrative building thing right at the start i don't think he's really been able to own like his part of the covid response Mm -hmm. um if anything he's he's tried to move away from that which is probably his big thing over the last three years who like what is he to the new zealand electorate what is his signature thing nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) right now but like just make the fucking do the hipkins tax (laughs) like or or like the hipkins payout like give everyone a thousand dollars hey sign it do a fucking trump like yeah yeah look cost of livings fucking sucks here's a thousand dollars
0: baby and not to not to be too cynical but part of the reason that hipkins and his government are not doing that stuff is that any change to the the tax settings that would enable um that stuff any capital gains any wealth tax would disadvantage a lot of the the labor caucus at an individual level like a lot of them are individually landlords a lot of um, their backers and advisors are landlords so their lives as individuals might be better sitting on the opposition bench um but um being able to receive capital gains than it would be in government uh with more equitable tax settings, and I know that like that pro- yeah that sounds very cynical, but they're not like like we talk about conflicts of interest yeah. um all the time we talk about it w- with Michael wood, and um I think the the these um people in our government are like incentivized to n- not change the status quo
2: hmm. and what is it they own like four hundred houses between them like yeah. Like, it is it is a conflict of interest, and it is, like, it's, well, it's not not corrupt. Hmm. Um,
1: yeah, like, it's... I mean, Yeah. And on the outcomes, it's corrupt. Yes. I, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, the, the system is, even if we can't, <laughs> even if we're not um, imputing that to specific individuals mm-hmm. acting individually corruptly, uh, yeah. we've got a system where people who hold interests mm-hmm. acting as a group uh, yeah. To keep those interests uh, within the status quo, like, <laughs> and, and to to the detriment
0: of nearly everyone else. Great work, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> just a, a fundamental misalignment between the electorate and the the elected officials. Well,
1: I think that's where we'll leave it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really
1: hoping we'll see some some movement in this space. Uh, either harder. Um, interrogation of policy and talking about what this will actually do for New Zealanders. For fuck's sake, I just want to, like, see some coverage of that because unless people know that, like, they are just voting on Vibes and maybe, you know, maybe that's just what people want, uh, to be voting on Vibes um, and then everything is more controllable. Great. Good work, everybody. Or for someone like the Labor Party, specifically the Labor Party, to release policy that actually makes a difference to people, that would be great too.
2: Um,
1: And unless... Unless some of those things happen, we're getting closer and closer to uh, probably the worst right-wing government since Labor in the 80s. <laughs> um, and no, that's not even a joke. Like, that's that's yeah. where we're going in terms of the the shift that will go. Yeah. It's definitely time for a change. It, it'll be immeasurably bad. Thank you so much uh, to my co-hosts. Thank you, Finlay. Thank you, Jeremy, for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me
2: yeah thank
1: you and if you've enjoyed this uh to our audience give it a share yeah let, let people know there's some independent media out there uh keep an eye out for our funding uh, our fundraising campaign which uh maybe we'll release next week i don't know uh it depends how much time i have we're trying to get some more money to do more things uh we've got trestle NZ. Uh, up and running, uh, but we want to do a lot more with that. That's a place where you can go to find all the press releases from advocacy activists and left wing political organizations. We want to organize that a bit better, add more organizations in, uh, and just get a good critical mass of uh, progressive news and information in one place. We, we haven't really had that in New Zealand before. Let's get that going. Uh, we've got a bunch of content we want to do. Uh, we want to do an election live stream. Uh, we want to be able to pay people. <laughs> We want to be able to commission articles uh, and actually do some of this investigative journalism that I keep bemoaning doesn't exist. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Consider signing up um, to our Patreon as well uh, and and help support us to continue doing what we do. That's been another week of One of 200. I'm pretty sure we have a midweek cast uh, coming next week uh, to talk about the international um, kind of shifts. Uh, in electoral politics so that should be really interesting uh, keep an ear out for of that as well we'll catch you next
0: time living a pointless life but I'm learning all your lessons from your politics there's no distinction the roads are far now it's paved with good intentions and I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say on the criticism of course we ought to stay I live amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell